preaching text is from the book of Acts. In Caesarea, there was a man called Cornelius, a centurion of the Italian cohort, as it was called. He was a devout man who feared God with all his household. He gave alms generously to the people and prayed constantly to God. One afternoon at about three o'clock, he had a vision in which he clearly saw an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. He stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? He answered, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa for a certain Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. When the angel who spoke to him had left, he called two of his slaves and a devout soldier from the ranks of those who served him, and after telling them everything, he sent them to Joppa. About noon the next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while it was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw the heaven opened and something like a large sheet coming down, being lowered to the ground by its four corners. In it were all kinds of four-footed creatures and reptiles and birds of the air. Then he heard a voice saying, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is profane or unclean. The voice said to him again a second time, what God has made clean, you must not call profane. <clears throat> this happened three times, and the thing was suddenly taken up to heaven. Now, while Peter was greatly puzzled about what to make of this vision that he had seen, suddenly the men sent by Cornelius appeared. They were asking for Simon's house and were standing by the gate. They called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, look, three men are searching for you. Get up, go down, and go with them without hesitation, for I have sent them. When Peter arrived at Cornelius' house, and Cornelius had explained what the angel had said to him, Peter began to speak to them. I truly understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. You know the message he sent to the people of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. That message spread throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John had announced, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. We are witnesses to all that he did both in Judea and Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and allowed him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who were chosen by God as witnesses and who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one ordained by God as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who heard the word. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished 
that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter said, Can anyone withhold the water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? So he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they invited him to stay for several days. Here ends the reading. Brothers and sisters, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So last week, as uh, you may recall, we heard the Great Commission. And in the Great Commission, Jesus uh, speaks with his disciples and he gives this mission statement for the church. Go into all the nations, making disciples of all the nations, baptizing them and teaching them uh, to obey everything which I have commanded you. And today, we see that commission begin to be carried out in a new way. Several years have passed. This is perhaps six or seven years after Jesus gave that commission to his disciples. And the early church has been growing, but it has largely been localized uh, to Jerusalem, uh, to Judea, up in Galilee, even in Samaria a bit. But it hasn't expanded much beyond this territory. There have been a few converts outside of Judaism, but for the most part, this is still very much a Jewish religious movement. The early followers of Jesus weren't even called Christians yet. That will happen later. They were called followers of the way. And they still worshipped in synagogues, at least when they were permitted to and they weren't driven out. Uh, They still worshipped at the temple, at least as long as they were permitted to and weren't driven out. Uh, They still considered themselves to be Jews. Peter still thought of himself as a Jew, just a Jew who followed the Messiah, the Christ, Jesus, who had been sent, who had been promised by the prophets. But still, of course, as Jews, they followed the law of Moses. Uh, They wore clothes which were allowed in the law of Moses. They ate food which was uh, called clean and nothing that was unclean. They still were Jewish, not just sort of culturally, but religiously. They obeyed the law of God because it was God's law and because it mattered, because God was the one who had sent Jesus Christ. This movement has been growing and there have been acts of miracles and powers. We heard in the children's reading this story, which happens right before our passage today of Jesus raising Tabitha uh, from the dead. And that's, it's just a lovely uh, story. If you ever want to read, it's right at the end of uh, Acts chapter 9. Uh, and it's just a lovely story of Peter coming in and the widows are showing the tunics uh, that she sewed through her life. I mean, you can just see this, right? They're having a little funeral really there uh, at the house before he raises her. But then he goes and he stays with Simon and Joppa. And that's where the story now shifts. And it goes to an interesting place. So just to give an idea of how the geography is here, we're still in Israel, basically. So if you think of Israel, you've got the Mediterranean Sea all over here uh, and along the coast. Uh, Peter is in a city called Joppa, which is on the coast. And about 40 or so miles, maybe a little bit more north of that, is another city called Caesarea. Caesarea is, uh, as you can perhaps tell by the name, named after Caesar. Now, this is a fairly common thing. Uh, if you were uh, a governor of a, of a province and you were building a new city, you would name it after Caesar. I mean, that's a good way of currying some favor with the emperor, right? So you would name it after Caesar. So there's at least two Caesareas in Israel at this time, but this is the one that's on the coast, Caesarea Maritima, it's sometimes called, the one that is by the sea. And uh, it is the major port for this area. 
Uh, it is the major seat of Roman power in this area. In fact, Pontius Pilate, the governor who oversaw the crucifixion of Jesus, his main home where he spent most of the year was in Caesarea on the coast. He only came to Jer Jerusalem when he absolutely had to. So the narrative moves now to this place, which is still in Israel, but it's just sort of barely in Israel. This is a Roman city. It's not a Jewish city. It is a Roman city, and it is the gateway to the rest of the Mediterranean. This is where all of your major uh, shipping is coming in, is in this port of Caesarea uh, Maritima. And it goes, our story now goes to a man named Cornelius, who is, did you notice, a centurion. Not only is this in the center of Roman power, he is a Roman military officer. He is in what's called the Italian cohort. This is an important group of soldiers. And of course, the uh, Jewish relations with the Roman soldiers were not often good. Now, this particular soldier, Cornelius, seems to be a, a fairly upstanding citizen. We're told that he fears God. This probably means that he actually uh, was sort of on the outskirts of Judaism. So he hadn't converted to become a Jew, but maybe he uh, would actually attend uh, synagogue services or worship outside. There were these groups of uh, Gentiles called God-fearers by the Jews who had not yet converted um, and maybe would never convert, but still were sort of on the fringes. And it seems like perhaps Cornelius was one of these. So Cornelius believed in God, but he was not converted for whatever reason, uh, perhaps uh, because his position simply wouldn't allow him to convert and follow uh, the laws of Moses that would make him uh, Jewish and being able to be a full member of, of the uh, nation of Israel in that way. Uh, but he's on the outskirts. He says he gives alms, he gives generously, he's probably well-regarded. We hear of several centurions actually in the Gospels that also are well-regarded by their communities. They seem to have been upstanding citizens for the most part. But God then comes to Cornelius. God sends an angel to Cornelius. Cornelius. Cornelius says, what is it, Lord? He is terrified, as you can perhaps imagine. And the angel tells Cornelius what to me seems like an odd thing for him to say, or her in the case of our reading today. Uh, the, angel, uh, the angel says, uh, your prayers and alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Okay, that's good. Now send men to Joppa. All right, that's kind of a strange place to send people, but okay, send uh, men to Joppa for a certain Simon who is called Peter. All right, uh, he's lodging with Simon Tanner, whose house is by the seaside. And so he sends uh, these, his, some of his household servants. He sends these, uh, this soldier who's uh, one of his kind of close associates, who is also apparently a, a worshiper of God, uh, to go and find this Peter. Now, this seems strange to me. I don't know if it seems strange to you, but it seems a bit strange to me, one, that God would go... Uh, to this Roman seat of power. I mean, this doesn't really seem like where God has been interested in going. I mean, God gives the law. God sets Israel apart as a nation. Uh, God is centered in Jerusalem. This is the name where I, or the place where I will choose to set my name, God says several times in the Old Testament. And yet now God is going to Caesarea, named after a man who claims uh, to be descended from the gods. And then when God comes to Cornelius, rather than just sort of telling Cornelius uh, what he needs to know about Jesus, Cornelius probably knows nothing about Jesus. Maybe he's heard of him, maybe not. Uh, probably if he has heard of him, not in any good contexts, if it's been from folks at the synagogue. And, 
but rather than telling him about Jesus, he says, go send for this guy, Peter, in this little town down the coast of Joppa. Seems like a strange thing for God to do, but, but, uh, but Cornelius listens, and he does it. So he sends his, his, uh, he sends his, uh, his, his retinue off to Peter, and while they're coming, it's about a day and a half journey or so, so the next day when they're, when they're drawing near, God sends another vision. Okay, so God sent one vision to Cornelius. Now God's going to send a second vision, and this vision is to Peter. I love the detail of the story that Peter uh, is hungry. He's gone up to pray, and he's hungry, and so they're making food, and then he has this vision about food. Uh, did you notice this? It's almost this like, I, I almost, maybe he was just really hungry, and he started to see things, you know? He's just imagining all of the food that's coming. But he sees this vision, and this vision is just so strange this sheet or something like a sheet being lowered down from heaven. And there's just every animal you can think of. All the, it says all the four-footed animals, all the reptiles, the, all the birds, everything you can think of is on this sheet. And if you remember in the law of Moses, there's very specific requirements about what animals can be eaten, what animals are, are appropriate for food, and what animals are considered unclean and cannot be eaten. Uh, so famously, pigs, right? Pigs are considered unclean. They, uh, they have a cloven hoof, but they don't chew the cud. That's what it says. If they have a cloven hoof and they don't chew the cud, they're not clean for you. They have to have both. They have to be both cloven hoofed and chewing cuds, but pigs don't do that, so they don't fit. All sorts of insects don't fit, which is maybe okay. Shellfish don't fit. Uh, some of us would have a hard time with that. Uh, all of these uh, animals that are not allowed to be eaten or even uh, not allowed to be found in your home, uh, you really have to be separate from them. So Peter looks at this sheet, and it, of course, includes clean and unclean animals. There's pigs there. There's lobster. Uh, there's, uh, there's all of these uh, reptiles there. None of those reptiles are good to eat. There's probably snakes, all sorts of things that maybe we would or would not uh, be interested in eating. And the uh, vis- vision says to him, the angel says to him in the vision, Peter, get up, kill, and eat. And Peter is offended. By no means, Lord, I have never eaten anything that is unclean or profane. Why is Peter so offended? I mean, sure, he's not supposed to eat these things, but it doesn't seem like it'd be that big of a deal, does it? These laws of Moses, even these uh, laws that we consider uh, not that important, these food laws, these clothing laws, these sorts of things uh, often today, these are laws that people would die for in Peter's time. In fact, uh, in in some of the the books of the Bible that are not included usually in most Protestant Bibles, but uh, some Roman Catholic and Orthodox Bibles have, the books of Maccabees, uh, the book of 4th Maccabees is this... um, treatise of these seven brothers and their mother who are being tortured and killed because they refuse to eat unclean foods. And they're held up as martyrs, basically. They're held up as, uh, as the, uh, the epitome of being faithful, of, of being uh, loyal to reason, uh, the author says. It's an interesting book to read. Uh, and uh, this is a few hundred, uh, maybe about 150 years before uh, what is going on here with Peter during uh, a Greek rather than Roman occupation of Israel. And so when the suggestion comes that Peter should go out onto this sheet thing uh, and take animals that are all mixed in with the unclean animals, he is offended. This is anathema to everything that he stands for. He has done his best. Sure, he hasn't been perfect, but he has done his best to be obedient to the law of God, the law that has been given through Moses. And here this vision is saying something else. So Peter makes his objection and the voice comes, 
What God has made clean, do not call profane or, or unclean. What God has made clean, you shall not treat as though it is unclean. This happens three times. Peter is a slow learner. And then the sheet goes up, the vision ends, and immediately these men sent from Cornelius are at the gate. And Peter's sitting there wondering, what is this vision about? Like, what is this supposed to mean? He, he doesn't really get it. Uh, and then he gets this little word from the Spirit saying, these men have come, go with them right away. I have sent them for you. And so he goes. Now, our reading skips a bunch, but uh, in, that, in that skipped portion, uh, Peter goes with the men. He shows up at Cornelius' house. This is already something that he's not um, supposed to do. Jews don't go into Gentile houses because there's all sorts of unclean things there. That's not something you're supposed to do. So he's going kind of reluctantly. He has some other uh, Jewish uh, believers, Jewish followers of Jesus uh, who come along with him. They get there. Cornelius explains this vision he's had. He explains why he sent these men. And then Peter's uh, uh, little sermon that we heard comes. And Peter starts with this, uh, with this amazing thing. Peter says, Now I truly understand that God shows no partiality. Now what that word uh, shows no partiality really means, uh, what that's really getting at is that God does not respect the status, social status, legal status of persons. It's not that God never chooses. Of course, God chose the nation of Israel, right? God's choosing all, all the time. God does all sorts of choosing. Um, but rather that when God chooses, God chooses according to God's own choice, according to God's own decisions. And here God has chosen the family and the friends and the neighbors. They've all gathered here for Peter's sermon of this Roman centurion occupying Israel about 30 years after this uh, the Romans will destroy Jerusalem. They'll destroy the temple. This is not a friendly people towards the Jews. And Peter has this vision where he arrives with this uh, Gentile, and he realizes that this vision that he's seen was not just about food. It was about the law. And that God is acting outside the law for the sake of Cornelius and his family. So Peter gives his little sermon. Uh, I think uh, when I was reading this, I, I mentioned this in Bible study. When I was reading this in Greek, I think this sermon is a little less cohesive than it comes across in the English translation. I think it's cleaned up a little bit because uh, there's like it starts something and then he's here and then he like jumps over to here and he's changing the subject all the time. But basically he outlines what Jesus has done, right? The good news of Jesus. But he does it in sort of what, what appears to me anyways to be this rambling kind of way. I mean, he hasn't prepared this sermon. He didn't uh, he didn't study up before he came. He didn't really know why he was coming. So he just says uh, what seems important, and he's jumping back and forth. He says, you know, you know the message. Well, you know, the one that he's the Lord of all, that, that message, that's the one that throughout Galilee, uh, spread throughout Galilee after the baptism that John announced, how God anointed, and you can just see the people like, okay, I'm kind of following. Hopefully this sermon isn't feeling like that to you. <laughs> but if it is, I'm in good company. But he, but he eventually makes it down to the, to the good news at the end, right? All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And it says, while Peter was still speaking, the Holy Spirit fell on everyone who heard the word. Peter's sermon was too long, right? 
the Holy Spirit got tired of waiting and the Holy Spirit came while Peter was still speaking this somewhat disjointed sermon and fell on everyone who was hearing the word. And Peter turns and he says, I mean, we have to baptize these people. What, what, what else can we do? They've received the Spirit just as we did. Remember the story of Pentecost, uh, which uh, we will hear on the actual day of Pentecost in several weeks when the Holy Spirit comes down on the disciples and they go out and they're speaking in languages they don't know and everybody is hearing them in their own language and they're telling the good news. Uh, Peter has a much uh, longer and I think a little bit better put together sermon at, at Pentecost on that day. But the same thing happens to these Gentiles. These Gentiles who are not Jewish, who have not converted, maybe some of them are worshipers of God, but some of them may not be. Peter doesn't even give a fantastic sermon. Peter doesn't even finish his sermon, and the Holy Spirit falls on these Gentiles. Now, this will start a debate in the early Christian church, and you can read this in the book of Acts in the chapters that follow, uh, about what this following Jesus thing is. Is this just being Jewish and with understanding the Messiah, or is there actually something else going on here? And as the gospel begins to spread to Gentiles, to non-Jews, the question goes, okay, to be Christian, and they do start to use the word Christian, to be Christian, do you have to become Jewish first? Uh, do you have to obey the uh, food laws? Do you have to go through uh, the, uh, the, the con conversion process, which involves circumcision if you're male, uh, involves uh, uh, many other uh, ceremonies as part of this process to become Jewish? Do you have to do that first in order to be a follower of Jesus? Or is God doing something else outside of the law of Moses here? Of course, uh, we know today uh, that especially Peter and Paul uh, uh, prevail in saying that, no, what God is doing is actually outside the law. And Paul will make the argument, in fact, God's always worked this way. It's always been justification by faith, Paul says. Even Abraham was justified by faith. The law hadn't even been given yet, uh, Paul will say. Uh, this debate goes, uh, initiates throughout the church because of what the Spirit is doing here. If you remember, I started off by talking about the Great Commission. Matthew, when he tells uh, the story of, of Jesus' appearance to the disciples in Galilee, uh, ties everything here so that there's no doubt that when we say going to the nations, it comes from Jesus himself. Make disciples of all nations, not just the Jewish nations. And here, a few years later, the Holy Spirit is sending visions to two very different men in order to get this all-the-nations thing going. Two things I want to notice here. The first is that the Holy Spirit goes ahead of the church. The church has not arrived in Caesarea yet. Christianity has not arrived in Caesarea yet, so the Holy Spirit goes ahead and prepares Caesarea for the gospel. And then the Holy Spirit goes to Peter and prepares him to give the gospel. And then the Holy Spirit brings them all together. And before the gospel's even finished being preached, falls on them and makes a church there in Caesarea. The Holy Spirit always goes ahead of the church. As we today are going and trying to make disciples and to baptize and to teach those uh, in our community, in our neighborhoods, who do not know Jesus, who do not know uh, what it is that has been done for them, it's a mistake if we think we are preceding the Holy Spirit. It's a mistake if we think we are the ones who are going to bring God to them. God is already there. 
And in fact, if you get the opportunity to give the gospel, that means the Holy Spirit has been work, at work preparing it far longer than you realize. Second thing I want to notice is this. It's that God acts outside the law, and this was scandalous to the early church. The fact that God would, would go to these places, would send Peter to these unclean places, that, uh, that uh, Christians would actually be, uh, or followers of Jesus, I should say, would actually be free in regards to the law of Moses, that what Jesus had done was actually something outside of the law. This was a scandal. In fact, maybe this was why Jesus was killed in the first place. We make our own laws today. We don't follow Jewish kosher laws. Uh, we don't follow uh, the laws of clothing. We're probably wearing mixed fabrics right now, for example. Yet we find our own laws. Maybe somebody has to pray the right prayer first. Maybe somebody has to uh, be in good standing with a particular congregation first. Maybe uh, somebody has to be able to uh, uh, say the right things in the right way or show uh, evidence of uh, power or transformation in their life uh, or, or so on or so forth. But we find these laws and we try and make God act in regard to the laws that we set up. But God keeps acting outside the law. God shows no partiality. God, another translation, is not a respecter of persons. God chooses according to God's own choice. And this is frightening because it means we have no control over what God is doing. We have no control over where the Holy Spirit will go. The Holy Spirit may find our worst enemies, and that's who the Holy Spirit will prepare us to preach the gospel to. And that's just a terrible thought, isn't it? But God acts outside the law, whether it's God's law given through Moses or our laws that we set up on God's behalf. And while this seems frightening, it is in fact the best news there is. Because outside of the law, outside of your worthiness, outside of your intentions, outside of your best efforts, God has chosen you. God has chosen to come to you to prepare you to receive the gospel. And God has decided to bring a rambling preacher like me to give it to you. So in the name of Jesus Christ, I forgive you all your sin. This is the word of God to you. This is God's choice for you. And it will not be overruled. Amen.